Hi, it's Thursday morning, it's Rosh Chodesh actually, and I'm going to see now take the opportunity to do the Tefillah podcast for this week. Um, I have a yard site for my mom, so I got to work on a CM for tonight, and I'm also in the middle of preparing for my three weeks lecture series on based in an ocean and all that. So, and I am working on the Israel trip too, by the way. Uh, I hope this Shabbos to be in Lakewood, actually. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I think. I may be speaking somewhere in Lakewood, uh, but we're working that out with farm chatter and those guys. I don't know the exact uh, time and place yet. Uh, this week, I just happened to look uh, yesterday in my rusty, trusty, um, you know, Bell's calendar here, news in my shoulder, and I noticed what I should remember anyway, which is that this Last couple of weeks, we have the, the Ten Martyrs, some famous names um, that for some reason are supposed to be associated with these dates that they were killed by the Romans. I don't know where that comes from. It's a problem in general I want to speak about. The Sarugim Malchus, which pl- plays such an important part in our liturgy, as we all know, and Yom Kippur, um, excuse me, on Tisha B'Av is coming up. We're going to say Arzi Elavonim. And then Yom Kippur is coming up when you say Ela Ezkara. These are famous uh, pieces of the davening, of the liturgy. Yet it's all uh, obscured in confusion, uh, historically. But if you look in the Shulchan Aruch and you look at uh, 580, Simon Tov Kof Pein in Orchayim, so it says, Elo Yom Shir Mitzar Slavoseinu, there are certain bad days, and it goes on to list this date and that date. And this past week, we had Bechav Gimel Sivan Bata Bikurim, I'll leave that alone. And the Chafhei Bo, Nera Rajbag, Rabbi Shmuel, Rabbi Chinis Ganekwanin, and the Chabzayim Bo, Nisra Chinich Ben Trajan, Vesefer Torimo. That's in the Shulchanar. The tour in the Shulchanar. So somehow or other, these dates got implanted in the halachic memory, shall we say, of the Jewish people. And that's why it's mentioned in the Belzer Luch and these other places. As I say, it's become enshrined. And the only way something can become enshrined in the Jewish world, that's through tefillah, by including it in the davening, as we say, twice a year. So everybody's heard us argue Mugamalchus one way or another, but primarily when it comes up to Shabbat time, which is after all around the corner today, it's Rosh Chodesh Tammuz, or Yom Kippur possibly. Yom Kippur is usually packed with so many other things that the Ela Eskra, you know, just comes like a small part of the Chazar Sashats. You have, all, after all, all the Yom Kippur stuff, you know what I mean, the, uh, the Avodos Yom Kippur and so forth. But, nevertheless, it's thrown in there. So wherever it is that composed this field, the liturgy felt that the Jewish people around the world, at least twice a year, shall we say, should encounter the story of Hazar Gimalchus. The problem, of course, is uh, manifold. If you're a historian, meaning you're trying to find out what actually happened in historical Matthias. Then it becomes difficult. Now, the problem is, the rabbinic literature, the Gemara and Medrash and all that, and certainly these obscure Midrashim on the side, in other words, let's put the Gemara and the Medrash Rabbah and Medrash Hanchum aside. There's a thing called Medrash Asar and there are such things. These uh, obscure Midrashim, which uh, are not part of the normative. Are they real? Are they not real? How do they get accepted? 
have the uh, shtim with what you know historically otherwise, it comes like different discourses. I'm a historian, meaning just my teva is to want to know as much as we can, because you'll never know. There was no YouTube. What exactly happened? What exactly happened? But then that has to fit with what's going with the Roman Empire, what this and that, and the dates, all kinds of things like that. It's got a shtim. And they don't. And so what do you do with that? This is a problem. Anybody who engages in the Bayashani period or that sort of thing runs into because we have multiple uh, uh, agaritas and stories out there and some overlap and some don't. And what really doing is they're recording different versions of oral traditions and you don't know which one is the one that is giving you like an eyewitness historical account. Even then it's going to be by definition, you know, uh, biased or as all accounts, all oral accounts are, by what it leaves and what it leaves out. Or is it something that's much later in origin and just had to do with uh, legends, uh, uh, meta-historical things that maybe happened in some Ruchnius type way. You know what I said? Maybe happened in some Ruchnius type way, but not in the historical Messias. I think the Hasari Malk is a classic example of that because many of you listening are aware that, yet, first of all, they don't have 10 names, but let's say that there is a place in uh, the Elvis Ram Nasser, if I remember, where he listens 10 names, usually 7 or 8, but that's not the point. We all know that it didn't happen at the same time, and yet it's described in the davening that's been at the same time. Second of all, you have this story where the guy comes and he says, I'm going to make you pay for the Mechiris Yosef. That's in the Yom Kippur liturgy. Third of all, the list of names is weird. So again, let's take a look at what we're talking about in the Shulchan Aruch. It says that on the 25th of Sivan, which is a few days ago, Let's just concentrate for a second. Really? I mean... As you, let's put it this way. When was Rishim Gamliel and Rishmal Khan killed? When? To tell you the truth, we don't know exactly. But on the other hand, we have a basic idea. When I say we don't know exactly, if you read, for example, the most detailed accounts of what happened by Shani, which would usually be like Josephus or something like that, whether you like it or not, that is by far the most detailed account. And even if you say he's not 100% true, but he's not 100% false either. A lot of what he's saying, Nikarm Deriamis. I know people like to hear it, they don't like to hear it. That's a fact. LMI, he leaves out stuff. Okay. So do Chazal. Yeah, I mean, that's the style. You leave in what's important, you leave out what you don't. Josephus does mention Shemakam Leo. He does not mention Yishmael Kongadol. Who Yishmael Kongadol is exactly, it's not so easy to find out. It's very complicated. And if anybody wants to wait, if you're the type of person listening to this, that you're interested in the nitty-gritty details and obscurities of the Second Temple era and those names, just go to the Toldus Tanoim Bamroim from Hyman, Aaron Hyman. There was a Talmud Chacham lived in London. He was a literature. He moved to London. He actually was a Sheikhid, but he was a, interested in, in this kind of history. And I'm talking about the Tanoim Bamroim. And he wrote three big volumes, which are in Hebrew books, most of it. 
a few pages are missing. And he goes through all we know, pretty good, about the Tanoi Mamrayim. Basically, he tries to find, he was a fan of the Doris Rishonin. Um, and you'll see there's a whole historical conundrum of who's Rabbi Shmuel. It's not the Rabbi Shmuel that you encounter as the Bar Plukta Rabbi Kiva. On the other hand, it doesn't quite make sense because Rabbi Kiva and Rabbi Shmuel are always arguing. It seems like they were colleagues. And yet, they're debating. He's a player in the mission, of course. On the other hand, we're told, and it's the problem with the different Agathas, that Rishma was that pretty boy that was ransomed after the fall of Jerusalem. You know the Gemara by Kamsa by Kamsa? You know this, where the rabbi came there, they saw I have to be poted this person because he quoted Psukim, they put him in a base nos and so forth, Taltalim Shcharos, whatever the story is, which would mean that Rabbi Shema is very young. Because after the Chorban Bayez, after the year 70. Rabbi Kiva was running around whale before the year 70. Right? He achieved his greatness those centuries. Matter of fact, the Doris Roshanah, Victor Miller, make a whole big deal out of that point. So the years are confusing. So let me put Rabbi Shemal Kohen Godel aside for a second. Talking about Rashbag, Roshimba Gamliel, who was the Nasi. He is mentioned in Josephus. Interestingly, he is um, mentioned you see the head of uh, one of the heads of the Revolutionary Council. Knows when they overthrew the Romans in mean, Cestius Gallus in the year sixty-seven, and the Great Revolt started. So Hashem Gamliel was part of that. He seems to be a reluctant part of that, and that's a whole discussion by itself. And it's you can definitely hear that when the city fell, that the Romans would kill him. Uh, whether they would chop his head off the way he's described in the Escarov, and the other one they ripped off his face. And, yeah, I know exactly. It's Mistaber. Now, Josephus does not mention that they killed him, which is strange because that's a major item that they killed the prince, the Nasi. And you would expect that would be a, a, a you know an item in the discussion. You have to understand, Josephus himself was a player in all this, and Shemekamil had to do, I, I forget exactly the details, whether Josephus should be appointed a general in the Galilee by the Revolutionary Council, and so forth. And I remember Shemekamil was a friend of Yochanan Gushchalov, John of Gisla, who was the mortal enemy of Josephus, so there's all this raid, you could say he left him out on purpose. Whatever the case is, I can totally hear that Shemekamil would be killed by the Romans, and you wonder why Yochan Mezakai didn't save him, because he said save the Nasi, you know, when he negotiated with Vespasian, Aspasianus. So, okay, it's Mestabra. Shemagil died in the siege. He's killed by the Romans when they entered the city. No can die. And that's why his son Rangamliel of Yavna took over. You know, it, it works. If you're interested in this, and you want to read English, get the, the Victor Miller books, in, like in a Toronation, I think is in it or the other one, Exalted People, and you'll see, you know, he has a whole discussion, because Halevi and, and Doris Hashem very interested in this exact business of the relationship between Yochum and Zakai on the one hand, and the uh, Rebbe Gamil of Yavna and the other, like, who's the head guy and all that? He has a theory about it. There's many theories. But as you know, in the Davening, it comes out that they arrested them both, and there's a whole question, you know, who... Uh, 
to get killed first. I think you know this medrash, right? You know who, who should get first. And he said, I don't want to see the death of the other one. So I think they killed Rabbi, if I remember, they killed Rabbi Shemigamil first. And then they ripped off the face of the other one. You know, I mean, we, we, we know this. You understand? Uh, we, we, we know this. Um, because they cast lots, and so on and so forth. Now, and by the way, I think it was uh, Shmuel, was it? Or one of them went up to Shemayin to ask, you know, is this a Gzair or not? That assumes, let me put it this way. So that's an incident that happened with the fall of Rome, the fall of Jerusalem to the Romans in the year 70. Now, Rabbi Kiva is also in the Hasari Gemalchus, as mentioned there as part of the group, but you and I know that Rabbi Kiva was by the Bar Kokhba Rebellion, the aftermath of Bar Kokhba Rebellion, which is in the year 136, 138. So it's almost 70 years later. So nevertheless, they're put together in one poem. So you see right off the bat that the poem is poetic. So it is part of the davening. And they put it in, the Kla Yisrael accepted this as part of the ritual, the liturgy. You and I are going to recite this in a couple weeks on Tisha B'Av, for example, and then Yom Kippur. But we know at the same time we're doing it, it's not exactly that way. And so, meaning, it's not exactly the way it happened historically. And so the idea of the tefillah over here is rhetorical, as I mentioned many times. Rhetorical, in a sense, is supposed to have a, an effect on you. The effect is, you see that when the Midas Adin comes, it hits the Gedolim also. They were not, you know, uh, spared or something like that. They didn't escape on some train, you know. They took it on the chin. It also wants to bring out, again, poetically or some other way, a guitar where Rabbi Shemal being killed at the same time. And by the way, there are, I remember there's a Tosefterism, it's a Bryson, that says when they took out these two to be killed, Rabbi Shemal, you know, they said, what what Avera did we do that we deserve such a Misa Mishuna? And the answer was, um, people came to ask us Shiloh on Shabbos afternoon when we were sleeping and we didn't answer. They said, come back later. And that's the biggest sin that you can find on them. Now, uh, still, it didn't happen all at the same time. And you have the famous story, which is, again, maybe it's true, maybe it's not, that, you know, the princess said, oh, he's so handsome, don't kill him, I'm going to save his face. And, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, he said, no, I'll kill him, but I'll rip off the face, the skin, and you can keep it, you know, like a souvenir. That is a powerful, uh, rhetorical, poetic way of dissing the Roman Greek culture. You understand? You don't care about the fact that you're uh, uh, mutilating someone and torturing them. And remember it said he screamed when they got to the fill and all the rest of it. So in other words, the pain you're inflicting on your victims is garnished. Which, by the way, is the way the Romans word. But you want the beauty. So, all of a sudden you see, it's like for a sermon, there's two types of yaft, of, of, of yefes, of beauty. A and B. One is a beauty that has a token to it. The other one is a beauty that doesn't. The beauty has a token to it. There are great things about Greece and Rome. But on the other hand, you can have this false beauty, or a very un-Jewish one, 
in which you say, I'll rip you off the skin, I'll put it on a skeleton, I'll keep it on my table, and therefore I have a work of art, even though the work of art was gotten through torture and uh, mutilation. So, whether exactly happened that or not, you, the person reciting the, the tefillah, the poem is what it is, hammers home that point. So whoever composed the tefillah is more interested in getting that point across to you than what the historical exact thing did happen on March 15th, was at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the, what was the name of the Roman guy that did it? All the kind of questions that a historian would be interested in are completely uninteresting to these people. Here's another one. They mentioned, I just told you before, something that's not, there's a name, excuse me, the Shulchan Aruch is mentioning Mabraisa, but last week was killed on the same date. It seems on the same day. Bechaf hei bo nerag, that sounds like the Romans killed him also. What you can say, I mean, I do get that. I do understand that, that the Romans break in in the year 70. They're going mad. They're going berserk. They're massacring everybody. Among others, they kill the Nazi de Kongolo and Hanin Eskana Kohanim. Hanin Eskana Kohanim was at that time. The reason he's so chashev is because he was the, uh, what's the right word, the acting Kohen Gadol. And Lamaisa, the Kohanim Gadol, I think you notice at the end of the Second Temple were political appointees. They were dropping dead right and, left, right and left. They were getting assassinated. All these stories we see over here, they're political appointees. Some of them were illiterate. You know what I say? How do I know they're illiterate? You know the mission like I know the mission in Yuma. This is the coin girl supposed to stay up on the name Kibber. If he knows how to read, you let him read. If not, somebody reads for him. Huh? A coin girl doesn't know how to read? <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So, the post of high priest was honorific to some degree. The day to day running in the base of Minish couldn't be done by these political appointees. And so you had, like we would say today, um, huh? you see, I'm talking to an American audience. The British, the Europeans will understand this in a minute. He, had the, he was like the permanent head of the civil service, like you have in England. You know, said, you know the person that's the uh, professional head of the bureau. There's the foreign minister, there's the foreign secretary, the home secretary, defense secretary, but they come and go. They're politicians. Under them is a whole civil service. They're the ones that actually run everything. And each guy has like a director general, they call in Israel, or head of a civil service. They run the, the ministry on a day-to-day basis. That's Hanin Neskan Kohan. And he lived through a time of terrible turmoil um, when everybody's being assassinated right and left. When things really went to hell when the when the uh, Beryonim took over to, to simplify for you and Jerusalem engaged in terrific civil wars. It was in a terrible time. Which is why, by the way, Hanin Neskan Kohan says He's the one who says, "Have Sham I mean, he witnessed it. He said it was better under the Romans than it is afterwards, because afterwards it broke into civil war and much more suffering. That's interesting. I mean, he lived it. But Chanes Kanan was not killed when the Romans came in. How do I know that? You, you know, and I know they have in the Mishnah and other places. He talks about what the rules used to be. Back when we had a base of Mikdash. You know, the famous missions in Sachin. You know, we 
we used to burn this together with that. He was a shlishi, a and all that. He's talking after the Chorban, and he's going by memory the way it used to be. Wait a minute, you're telling me now, according to what I just said, the Shulchan Aruch, the Chaf Hei Bo, in 25 Sivan, this is what I mean. So historians scratch their head and go crazy with this stuff. Second of all, uh, you have, as I say, the story where they're arrested by the Roman for the sin of the sale of Joseph. I mean, really? I mean, how does he even know about that? And why would he say, now's the time to pay up? You know, no, we haven't found righteous people like you, now's the time to pay up. And then he goes up to Shemaim to see whether it's true. The Romans didn't say that. The person writing the poem, the poet, is asserting something, which is that metaphysically this may have been a payment for the sale of Yosef. I mean, that's already out of my pay grade. So notice that's not history, that's meta-history. That's Ruchnius. So what you're doing is you're locating the Mises of Tzadikin in a Ruchnius Dika Eifen. So that's a different thing. You're taking it out of history and putting it into uh, a specific type of memory. That's a different business. That means the people who wrote the Siddur, the Mahsur, and all the rest of it are being rhetorical in the sense they're using words to make a Roshim on the person. Um, they certainly have. All of us, since we're kids, are affected in a certain way by the story of Asarugamachus. This one's affected this way, that one. Like I said before, you see what a phonies the Romans were with their idea of beauty. Things like, you know, that's what they're trying to, you know, get across. And then, of course, on 27th Sivan, which was just the other day, we have this famous story of Hanani of, um, ben Tradyun, where everybody knows what they burned him with. the, And the guy says, if I make it easier for you, and I, you know, will you get me into Olam Haba? Uh, which is not, is that mentioned? Let me see over here. That... Specific mice have not. Uh, yeah. I'm looking at Tishabov. Achor Makio kills Betsy and Shira. Yoshev. Yoshev Bedor Shaver Tori Imo. Chavalis more. They tied him up with uh, bundles of vines. You know, he should burn slowly. And so, we're seeing some of the Saver Torah. Spugan shall temper a little shalimus mehera. Then they made him die a slow death. The Piet does not mention the story they have in the Gemara that we all know that he told the executioner, you know, besides saying, what do you see? He says, Gvil and Nisrofen, Osius Pochus Bavir, as we all know the story. Again, that's a rhetorical point. Gvil and Nisrofen, Osius Pochus Bavir. What's the point of that story? The Torah is eternal. We survive. The Gavil and this, this is rough from time to time. Uh, the Holocaust, whatever. Things like that. The Gavil and this, this is rough. Literally, and the figurative sense, that Jewish people are killed. But the Osios of Parkas Babir. But the Kla Yisrael survives. Or the Torah survives. However, you want to spin it. Uh, this is the meaning now I want to point out. The Shulchan Aruch is saying these are days that people fast. Or used to. 
Not days of skipping tachlan. It's the other opposite. These are days of people fasting. In fact, I think, you know, now I've never heard of anybody fasting like this, but that's just me. I'm looking in the Luach the Belzer, it's in Behem. He just mentions days of Misanim Behem, but he's just quoting the Shulchanar. I doubt if anybody does it. But it's days to reflect. Now, the funny part is like this. When these days come, most people don't know about it. That's what I'm mentioning this week. I should have done this a couple days ago, I guess. But this is the week. Uh, and the idea is to reflect upon, you know, the the, the, the Musar Haskell, I guess, the Messer, the message behind these tales. Because Hanim and Trani is also from the time of Bar Kochwa. In the aftermath of the Bar Kochwa rebellion, the Roman government for a while, in a highly unusual mode, tried to kill the rabbis. It's not hard to... Otherwise, they didn't do that. The, the Jews were under Romans for hundreds of years. And only a few years later, the Rebbe Anasi was buddies with Antoninus. But in this particular time, in the late 130s, they went after and killed a bunch of rabbis, or at least some. To tell you the truth, they didn't kill so many, but they killed biggies. Rabbi Kiva, Rabbi Chani Mitradi, Rabbi Huda Ben Baba. You know, people like that. Um, why the Romans killed them is Pashan. Rabbi Kiva backed the rebellion of Bar-Kochwa. So they saw the clergy as a, a what do you call it? A rebellious element. If they didn't kill the others afterwards, the rabbis had, had to be able to persuade the Romans that, you know, people like Rabbi Kiva don't represent the totality of it and that we're peaceful and we accept the Roman domination and we're not trying to make a revolution, rebellion. And then that worked. And by the way, that was true. Um, that was true. It is out of this environment, I have to speak about this tonight, comes the idea that there are different Shavuos and Shalom you know, the there's different Shalom Yim Shalom Yim at the time it was said, was not a Satmar Vort. Shalom was a very practical kind of thing to do at the time of the Asara Gamalchus. He said, Hashem obviously doesn't want you to rebel against the Romans. Every time they tried it, it got crushed. And so there's that Musar Haskell, so to speak. You know, you have to roll with the punches. Like Rabbi Kiva said, every time it was a wave, you know, I ducked in and survived the wave. So, when we look at the story of Asari Gamalchus, again, important elements are this week. I mentioned four names in one week. It's Chani Ben Trajan. You know, he's the father of mayor. Um, you have uh, Shimon Gamliel. Uh, this is Shimon Gamliel the first, and not the Shimon Gamliel who is the father of Yunanasi. This is Shimon Gamliel the first, the the, the father of Yunanasi, Shimon Gamliel the second. Um, so you have Shimon Gamliel, you have Shmuel Cohen Gadol, whoever exactly he is, because, like I said, that's a historical conundrum by itself. And there are Chaninus Gana Kohanim, who doesn't seem to have been killed at that time at all. So, obviously, there are certain uh, poems out there, slichos. I won't say prayers, because this is not part of the regular prayers, it's part of the, the slichos, basically, or the kinos, if you prefer. Uh, 
the Kinos literature, the Slichos literature, is generally speaking, doesn't, you don't look to history there. You learn to look to meta history. Meta history plays a large role in Jewish culture. But you shouldn't confuse it with history. Uh, meta history is about getting lessons across. History is, number one, what actually happened. And history also does involve analysis of what happened. Actually, history is not the collection of the facts. That's called antiquarianism. History is the chunk you make out of the facts, the narrative you compose. That's history. Meta-history, which is what we're talking about, deals at a different level. Meta-history wants to know, why did God make these things happen? That's a different question. I'll make this point and then I'll stop because it's late. History is is into cause and effect from Gashmi's perspective. Meta-history is into cause and effect from Rukhni's perspective. So, when the Civil War broke out in the United States in 1861, most Americans were horrified. How did we get to this point? The country's being torn apart, people getting killed by the hundreds of thousands, etc. What happened? So, the regular historian and secular and politician at that time said, it's over slavery, it's over states' rights, etc., etc. You can construct a narrative, of course, how the American Republic slid into civil war. But mostly about slavery. There are ways of doing you know, the tariff and all this business. Okay. And so what you're asking is, how did we politically screw up Ad Kedekah that we ended the Civil War? Meta-history is asking a different question. What sin did we as Americans do to cause God to bring about a Civil War? Now, if you look for religious answer, you look for spiritual answer, it cannot be empirically verified. But it's very... It doesn't mean it doesn't ring with you and hit you in your kishkas. It actually is very strong. You know, in America, when the Civil War broke out, all across the country, the preachers said like this, we're too secular. We've abandoned God. We're not really Christians. America is a, a, a sort of atheism. The word God does not appear in the Constitution. That time, God did not appear in the money. Things like that. And there was a big movement in the U.S. during the Civil War to rewrite the Constitution and make America officially a Christian country. Not that they would persecute anybody, but a Christian country and mention Yashka and this and that and the other. Abraham Lincoln fought that tooth and nail. He said, no, let's keep the old system. And it was so powerful a feeling that he couldn't prevent he could prevent putting God in the Constitution, but he couldn't prevent putting God in the money. That's where you get in God we trust. <laughs> Even though he thought it's wrong to do that also. Seth's shot, you're asking religious questions. In our time, I would say, had the Holocaust happen? And so one way you say it like this, you have the rise of modern anti-Semitism, World War One, the Depression, Hitler, blah, blah, blah. All of which makes perfect sense from a Gashmi's perspective. The religious person says, I guess, why did Hashem hit the Jews with six million? That's a different question. It's a question often asked, and many people now, our time are coming up with answers. I don't like it, but I'm just saying that's what they're doing. 
that's in the genre of the Asari Gemachlis. That's in the genre of these piyutim and, and kinos that we're soon going to be reciting over events that apparently happened this past week. Because if there are 10 martyrs, I just listed 4 out of 10. That all happened in Sivan, in the months of Sivan, late Sivan, way back when. So it's interesting, or it's important to keep these, in my opinion, that's all I ever share with you. When you see these piyutim, you know, have your right hand and your left hand with you at the same time. One hand is the historical take, the other hand is the meta-historical take. I went too long, but okay. Uh, with that, I want to thank, as always, Mishpacha Savansky for sponsoring this, as they do every week uh, with the uh, tefillah, and I uh, wish everybody a good Shabbos. Maybe I'll run into you in Lakewood, maybe not. <laughs>